All right. Would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Although every day we have is a gift, every day we have is special, this is the day that we get to focus on the reason why that is. Because you love us with a love that few of us, if any of us, can truly understand. But I just pray that today maybe we would get a glimmer of what that means, Lord. Make it our own. Understand it. Make it real. Change our lives forever. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for your message. Thank you for loving us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man. Before I, I started today, I wanted you to hear some good preaching. <laughs> that, I, I use that videotape any and every time I can, and just once in a while in the morning, I just go listen to it. Because that's our Jesus. That's my king. That famous description was given like 50 years ago by Dr. Lockridge down in Calvary Baptist in San Diego, California. My hometown, by the way. Uh, he was talking in that clip, and we hope to do the same thing about the real Jesus. Not a plastic Jesus that's sometimes put on a dashboard. Not the flat Jesus, if you've heard about the flat Jesus. It's a little Jesus you carry around that's flat and you take selfies of yourself with this flat Jesus at different places all over the world and then post them on your Facebook page. We're not talking about the flat Jesus today. Not the imaginary Jesus that we create in our own minds uh, with our self-focused prayers Not the Jesus that tells us to do our own thing and it's okay with Him even when He and we both know that it's not. It's not the the Jesus who the critics say was just a man who never really claimed to be God. And and not the Jesus who died 2,000 years ago who so many people say is still buried in a Roman tomb. For sure, we're not talking about those. We're talking about the real Jesus. This is Easter 2019, we're talking about the biblical Jesus, the Jesus who is fully alive. And it's important for each of us to know he's not only alive, he's fully present here. He's the all-present God, the Jesus that is always with us, the Jesus that is always looking on us to help us, to guide us, to draw us to him. You know, the 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 descriptions in history of Jesus, his life, his death, his ministry, and his resurrection. Sixteen different ancient authors talk about him. You see, Christianity is based on that exact fact, that it's a historical fact. We know the events that took place with him. We know that Jesus was betrayed by a friend, denied by his disciples, uh, accused by the religious leaders, was turned over to the Roman government. He was tried, beaten, mocked, and crowned with thorns, stripped naked, crucified on a cross with common criminals who also mocked him. His clothes were gambled for by the guards who had put him up on the cross. After he died, he was taken away, thrown into a borrowed tomb at that time before sunset so they could get him out of the way so they could have a religious festival while the king of kings is being buried. Kind of interesting. Uh, And the soldiers were put in front of that tomb to guard him. It was sealed with a Roman seal, 
Guards were put in front of it to make sure nothing happened to this Jesus. But we know what happened. Jesus did not stay in the tomb. You know, today as we started, there's some verses that are on the screen that we're going to be talking to. Jesus was God from the beginning of time for eternity. He, he was God. He existed as God. Uh, before anything in this physical reality, he lived in a spiritual reality that is still there today. Uh, it's, it's another dimension, another domain. I can't even understand it. But he was equal. He was God. Living in heaven in safety and security and power and with, with angels and worship and everything taking place. That was Jesus through the beginning of eternity. And then at a time, he, because of God's will, because of his plan, because of his love for us, he left heaven. Think about that. He leaves heaven and he comes to earth. And he's and he's not he doesn't come as a king, doesn't come as a CEO, he doesn't come as any of these lofty people, rich or anything else. He comes poor and humble. He's not born in, in a Marriott. He, he's he's in a stable. And he's put into a feed trough. The humblest of humble positions. The the God of glory comes to earth as a helpless baby. And here he grows up in this world. Humble position of a slave, born as a human being, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself to first be here, but then to walk in and amongst this world, taking the abuse, the challenges, and everything that was taking place down here, and ultimately in obedience to God, and out of love for me, and out of love for you, he gave up his life on a cross. An innocent man died for the guilty. Uh, therefore, God elevates him to the highest place of honor and the name above all names, Jesus Christ. And that's the name that we celebrate here today uh, as, as we start. You know, as so we go forward in that, he's, as he was up there, his, his, his friend uh, John the Apostle was with him. And, and later, John, the apostle who writes the book of Revelation, he sees his friend, the, Jesus, John was called the beloved disciple, and he sees his friend uh, after raised up, and he sees him, and he falls at his feet as if he was dead. And here's what Jesus said to John, and here's what he says to each of us as we see his holiness. Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forevermore. And that's what he presents to us today. If I, any message that comes across today, Jesus is alive. And important, he holds the keys to death and the grave. When Christ died on the cross, there was a spiritual battle that was fought and he won. He took from the ruler of this world, Satan, the keys to death. Now, each person here, the death rate is still 100%. At some point in each of our existence, that's going to become real important. When we leave this earth, we're going to first and foremost see Jesus Christ. He is the one that holds the keys to life and death. He's the one we answer to. The question is, what did we do with Jesus? Who is Jesus? In the video we started out with, uh, we were asked continuously, Hey, I ask, do you know him? Which I can't, I can't talk as cool as he did. 
but do you know him? And that's, that's what we're talking about today. Do we know him? Those are the verses of, of our God as we go forward. That's what we're talking about today. Now, Jesus, when he's going to Jerusalem, we've talked about this actually for the last three weeks, specifically last week on Palm Sunday. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew exactly where he was. He knew exactly why he came to earth. And he knew the events that were going to take place. He said, you know, he tells his disciples, his followers, we're going to Jerusalem. And, and when we come to Jerusalem, uh, I'm going to be betrayed to the leading priest, uh, the teachers of the religious law. They'll sentence uh, me to die. I'll be handed over to the Romans, mocked, flogged, with whipped, and crucified. So this is what's going to happen. He says, but on the third day, I'll rise again. Now, they were probably clueless as to what any of this meant. But this wasn't surprising to any of us who's familiar with the Old Testament. It was predicted 700 years in advance. We were told that the Messiah, the, the new king of Jerusalem, would, would walk into Jerusalem. And again, we talked last week on a specific day as he walked in. And here's what they said would happen to this Messiah, this king, this, this God who comes to earth. That he'll be pierced for our rebellion. He'll be crushed for our sins. He'll be beaten so we can be made whole. He'll be whipped so we can be healed. All of us, like sheep, we all go astray. We've all left God's path. Yet God lays on Jesus, this lamb, this sacrifice, our sins. 700 years before, Jesus comes and specifically fulfills it to the detail. Should not surprise us whatsoever when that took place. And Jesus dies, and he's thrown into a tomb. Not even, not even his tomb. Joseph of Arimathea uh, and another uh, Pharisee religious leader named Nicodemus who would not publicly proclaim Christ, but once Christ uh, was dead and on the cross, they came and took him down and buried him in a, in a borrowed tomb that's there. I was just reading the news today. They had, a, they had a celebration at the tomb, what they think is the tomb of Jesus in Israel. And they were, and they, you know, a, a, uh, I guess it's an empty tomb celebration. I don't know what you call it. And by the way, it was empty. My, my wife and I were there. We didn't believe it. We went and looked, and he wasn't there. Just saying. Uh, but, but he was buried in the tomb, but he couldn't hold him. On the third day, uh, he was guarded and everything else. They, put it, they sealed the tomb, which was the Roman seal. Anyone breaks that seal is subject to death. This will prevent his disciples. They put guards out front to secure the tomb. They sealed it and just because they didn't want anything from Jesus to go on. You know, uh, now what happened that week, and we talked about it last week, there was an excitement when Jesus walked into Jerusalem. Just like there's an excitement as we come to celebrate, for example, Easter today. The people were, were, were calling him, you're the Lord, you're, you're the Messiah, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're just pumped because they thought Jesus was going to deliver them from the worries, the pains, and the challenges of this world. That he was going to remove the Romans, that he was going to remove the, the false religious leaders, that he was going to make wrong right. And he was going to reward those people. They thought this was a change. Everything was going to happen. This was going to be Jesus' reign. He's taken over. He didn't meet their expectations. He was a different Jesus. He did come to do battle. He came to do a spiritual battle. 
Not for the physical kingdoms of this world, but the kingdoms of your heart and my heart and the hearts of every person in the world. That's the battle that Jesus came to win. The excitement of the triumphal entry at the beginning of the week turns into the same crowd in the fog of confusion when things weren't going their way. They called out, crucify him. If you're not going to do it my way, crucify him. So often in my previous life, that was my prayer. You're not doing it my way. I'm on my own, thanks. I'm going to have to cut my own path through this. So they went from Hosanna to crucify him. And, and even in this, as, he's, as he comes up, he's praying on the cross, and he, and he prays for those who are crucifying him. He didn't call legions of angels, which he could. No matter how much Jesus tried to prepare him, there was still this confusion taking place. And, and they didn't really know what was going on because they had a day that hey, they stayed in because of the law. They couldn't go out. And eventually, the, the disciples were cowering, cowering in, their, uh, in, in a room in a house. And uh, they denied Jesus, Peter, three times. And so they did what good men do when they want to find out what's really going on. They sent the women out because they were afraid to go. And so the women go to the tomb. And as, and as they come, they, the tomb's empty. They, they inter, interact with an angel and Jesus. It's just a total excitement. Women come back and say, the tomb's empty. Uh, Mary Magdalene and, and others were out there doing that. But the story sounded like such nonsense to the men. Who, again, just a reminder, didn't go. But, but encouraged... They jump up and they run to the tomb and, and, and Peter and John, they enter the tomb and it's, it is empty. The grave cloths are laying there. This was, this was the news that was spread. Jesus is alive. You know, and because he's alive, God elevated him. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Elevated him without a high position. There should be no other name that we should call upon. He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. Bold statements. He's the living one and He now has. Therefore God elevated Him. It's Jesus who holds my future. It's Jesus that holds your future. Here and for eternity. He's still God. He's still fully present. And He sees every heart. He sees every intention. He knows every activity. And out of His love for us, He walks to guide us toward Himself. You know, eternal life comes from Jesus. You know, this falling at His feet and, and everything else. We need to know this. Jesus told us. God told us. And we know this. Many... now. We live in a post-Christian country now. But there was a time when I could boldly say, everyone's probably memorized this verse at some particular point. For sure, we've heard it. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is Christianity 101. God so loved the world. God so loved me. And God so loved you. He loved the world but he loves us personally, one person at a time. No one escapes his view. No one escapes his love. So God loves me so much and you so much, he sends his one and only son. 
that if we would believe in him, we would have faith in him, we will not perish. We will not die. We have eternal life. At the moment of transition, at the moment of accepting Christ, we have eternal life. Eternal life with Christ. He sends his son in the world not to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus came as the savior of the world. There's, there's no judgment against those who believe in him. But anyone who doesn't believe in him has already been judged. It's a very simple proposition. Christianity is based on faith, on believing. Do we believe? And, and make sure that we, we make the transition that not believing with mental assent only. Believing that we're talking about here is believing to the point of commitment. I always believed in God, but I didn't commit to God. We're talking about believing in commitment. That We're talking about true faith that ends up with works, with laying our lives down. The process is very simple. He, he lays it out in the book of Romans. He, he makes it clear to everyone. He says, uh, we can be made right with God by placing our faith in Christ. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. And, and, and here's where he casts the big net. Again, he says everyone has sinned, past tense, and everyone is sinning. This is the past tense, sinned in the past, sinning and ongoing. And, you know, I, I talk to people all the time, and sometimes people, are most, you know, people will admit, well, yeah, I sin. I, I drove 37 miles an hour on China Lake Boulevard. Very few people do that. Uh, normally 50, but I sin. I fail. I fall short. But the point is that it's more than that. We're sinners by nature. We're born selfish, prideful, seeking our own way. This, this verse is proven by anyone who's tried to raise a two-year-old. They're willful and want to control you. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ. All those sins are wiped away. He freed us from the penalty of sin. God presents Jesus Christ as that sacrifice for our sins. Each of my sins, and actually the sins of everyone in the world, whether we accept Him or not, you may be here rejecting Jesus Christ. You may be just somewhere distant and, and you have different opinions of what I'm putting out. But he died for your sins too. He had died for mine long before I was born and you. Christ died for all sins. He presented Christ as a sacrifice for all sins so we can be made right with God. Because he, it makes us available to go to heaven. The sins have to be removed. But there's a qualification. This belief, this faith, has to be turned into action. Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, if, if you want to be a Christian, you have to give up your own way. Take up your cross, your death, your, your life, uh, and follow me. If you try and hang on to your life, you'll lose your life. You see, I did the hokey pokey Christianity for a while. A hokey pokey Christianity is one of my favorites. You put, put this little area of your life in, and then something looks really good there, so you take it back out. You know, you put your right foot in, your left foot out, whatever that is. Like, don't remember, someone probably got that down better than me. If they, do they still, kids, do they still do the hokey pokey? Do they? No, I'm really old. Someone says, yes, oh, thank you. I'm not that old. The person that said it was 80. Uh, 
But it's a total commitment of the total heart. You know, because that's what love is. I, I use this example for myself and for everyone. You know, in a marriage ceremony, no husband, no, no, no bride would stand up and say, I promise to love you 99% of the time. 3.5 days a year, you can go do what you want. I hope you're, no one's planning on that. But love is 100%. We lay our lives down and we follow. And that's Christ's offer to us. Now, why doesn't everybody buy in? Because really, they look at it and they say it's foolishness. How could a Jewish man, a carpenter at that, 2,000 years ago, die and make any difference for me? How could he make a difference in my life? The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But if you want to be saved, we know it's the very power of God. The wisdom of this world, the intelligence of this world, the philosophers of this world, all of the brilliant debaters, God's simple, simple message. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Many of you just sang that a little while ago. If you take a step back, it, it is foolishness if we don't know the context. We don't know what's there to put that in front of us. You know, uh, today in our country, around 80% of the people in surveys say they believe in Jesus. 150 million will attend church this Easter in our country. In the general population, less than 3% understand biblical Christianity of a total sacrifice of our life out of love to God. Scary to parents, it's less than 1% under 20 understand biblical Christianity that is presented by Jesus Christ. This is challenge foolishness to them. It's given not as works. You can't earn it. Because down here, everything's conditional. Love is conditional. Works. If you don't work, you don't get. Christianity is a gift. We're, we're told that as we go forward in that, we're saved by His grace when we believed. We, we can't take credit for it inside of our lives. Salvation is not a reward for good things that we've done. Can't boast about it. It's a gift. You know, one of the, the reminders of this is it, it, it's given to us because if it was earned, we would feel we deserve it. All the other religions of the world have a works clause. You know, this is what you're supposed to do, and here's how you get there. And if, and if we're on a works plan, this, the second verse is when people work, their wages aren't a gift. Ours is a gift. No one can boast. We've earned it. So works programs, if we're here to make ourselves righteous or we know other religions, when you die, you get to heaven and you say, God, you owe me because I did this. I pointed out last night that uh, if you've listened to my sermons for five years, that could be credit to get you in. Jerry pointed out to me, who, who works here, Jerry pointed out that he's listened for 10 years, and what does that do for him? I told him, nothing. Works don't work. Grace, a gift of God, bought by the blood of Christ, that works. God's ways defy human logic. No one could have thought of this plan that to cover our mistakes and failures, that God would come to this earth and die. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So high are they above anything that we might have, we can't even 
grasps them. You know, it shouldn't surprise us that we don't fully understand. There's a lot of things I fully don't understand, but I know enough to believe in it. I don't totally understand how an airplane flies. I was a pilot. I studied Bernoulli's law, whoever Bernoulli was. But he stu- I studied all that stuff, but I still had to get on the airplane to believe, to really carry through on that. So God reveals himself to us so we can understand his ways. You know, he gives proof that there is a God, that Jesus is who he said he was. You know, we don't, one of the challenges I had, I didn't want to make an emotional commitment with my life of this importance. I I wanted to understand because God made us rational beings. You know, this is kind of a note to the skeptics that are here today. Uh, We should be able to understand and defend our faith when it takes place. It says, don't be afraid of other people when they challenge your belief. Worship Christ, okay. But if someone asks you, have a reason. Be able to explain why you believe in Jesus Christ. The, the birth, the life, the teachings, the miracles, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I say this all the time. These are not religious statements. These are historical facts that can be investigated. And honestly, God wants us to investigate. My journey took six months of, of reading the Bible and saying, do I believe this before I even got pl- close to a point where I would commit to it? But Jesus offers himself. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, because Jesus always gives and God always gives evidence before he asks for faith. There was a time when the disciples were locked away. uh, And Jesus had risen once, but he'd gone away. And then he comes and he appears in the middle of them. And when when he comes, his disciples are there. He passes through the wall, not bad to show that you're different. Uh, Doors not through the door. And so he comes and he stands among them and he, and he gives them peace, be with you. But Thomas, doubting Thomas is where he gets his name. And, and so, so Thomas wasn't there. He, in, next week, Jesus appears again. Thomas is there. Now, here was my invitation that God gave me. And here's the invitation I give anyone who doubts. He calls Thomas over and he says, uh, peace be with you, Thomas. And then he says, oh, by the way, put your fingers here. He offers him his hands and the holes in his side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And, and looking at the evidence, evaluating it, Thomas says, oh, my Lord and my God. He was convinced. And Jesus goes on for 40 days. He appeared to the apostles from time to time, proved to him in many ways that, that he was actually alive. He left them with evidence that he was there. He, he showed them guaranteed evidence. Now, what, are the, what, are the, what happened to those apostles, by the way? How sincere were they? How convinced were they? This is a list of what happened to the apostles. They died professing their accounts were true. To me, uh, that's powerful. People don't die for a lie when they know it's a lie. These men went to their deaths and often their families died with them. Uh, Would you go back to that first one because it's too much fun? Matthew suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia, killed by a sword. Uh, Today in my normal reading program, I read three chapters in the New Testament a day. I came back, I just finished Revelation, and so I started in Matthew. And what I always do in a Bible, 
when I come to a name that's mentioned, I look them up. Matthew died in Ethiopia, killed by a sword. So I wrote that in my Bible. So every time I turn to Matthew, I see that he sealed his testimony with his blood. It may not be powerful to anyone else, but it's powerful to me. Each of the other ones, Mark, Luke, John, uh, Bartholomew, James the Great, all of these people died professing it was true. Oh, by the way, Doubting Thomas, Doubting Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India on a missionary journey that he went on, professing and claiming that Christ is who he said he was. He dedicated his life. He was transformed. He was committed to what took place. You know, the, the bottom verse of this is they, they have defeated the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and their testimony. They didn't love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. You know, my, my encouragement to doubters, and I did this, try to disprove it. If there is no resurrection of Jesus Christ, and if Christ hasn't been raised, then our faith is useless and we're still in our sins. So the challenge is go, go prove it or disprove it. I, there's a long list of atheists that have gone out to disprove just the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they become Christians. Why? Because it's true. History proclaims it to any honest seeker or searcher. If we search wholeheartedly, we will find that. Jesus is alive today. You know, He moves. He guides. You know, when they wanted Him to take over the world, He didn't. He paid a price for their sins. He won their hearts. He rose from the dead. He didn't set up a physical kingdom. He set up a spiritual kingdom. He didn't remove the government. He didn't use armies of angels. He didn't do any of that. What he did was he came to win hearts. And how was he going to do this? You know, again, we go back to God's ways aren't our ways. How would he do that? Well, he chose the most unlikely group of people. He chose his disciples. And and he gathered them together and they asked, Hey, Lord, is this the time you're going to set up your kingdom? Are you now going to call your angels? Are you now going to do all this? And Jesus says, No. No, I'm not going to do that. You are. So I'm not setting them up. You are. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses. You will spread my story, my truth around the world. You'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses in Trona, in Ridgecrest, in Inyokern, and even to the ends of the world, if there's any place further than us. Just go out and tell him. He took the most unlikely group of people and he turned it over. Yeah, the same guys that abandoned him, the same guys that kept making mistakes, the same guys that couldn't get it right. Men and women who were sinners and failures, who had no higher education whatsoever. They were not rich, they were not powerful, they were not well known. And he says, you go get it done. And you see, that's the commandment to you and I. We're his followers. This is our job. This is foolishness at the highest degree that he would send you and I into this world to change this world. But he gives us the power to do it. 
The Spirit of God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in every follower of Jesus Christ. The members of the council, when they saw the disciples, uh, they, they had healed someone, uh, Peter and John, and so they said they couldn't see. That they were just ordinary men. They had no special training. But what made the disciples unique? They recognized that they had been with Jesus, and this should be the mark of our lives that we've been with Jesus, that we've been crucified with Christ. We've laid our lives down, and now Christ is living through us. This is God's foolish plan for this world. It's his plan for me. It's his plan for you. And what happened to this ragtag group of people willing to die and give their lives for Jesus Christ? Simply, they changed the world. Not with armies, but with love. They, they didn't let evil overcome them, but they overcame the evil of the world, the Roman Empire, and the rulers of that day. They overcame them with love. You know, Jesus made it clear right at the beginning of his teachings. He says, you know, the law says love your neighbor and, and hate your enemy. But Jesus said from the beginning, love your, love your enemy. Love your enemy. And, and in loving, you'll transform them. Jesus' followers changed the world with the power of love. You know, they were persecuted by the Jews, the Romans. Uh, the disciples die, died many times. Christians were fed the lions. They were set on fire and used as torches in Rome. They were also crucified. But they loved back. You know, uh, the writers of that, that first century as the church was exploding... Many of them, and i got the quotes if you're interested, uh, would write about Christians when there was a plague and plagues would sweep through and kill everyone in a city and everyone was dying. The people in that city were leaving their relatives and they were fleeing outside. Christians were going in to minister to people they didn't know. And many of them died of the plagues and the things that were taking place in those cities, but they died loving on the other people that were in there. People looked at that and they said, those guys are different. There, there's something different. They, actually, there's letters that describe the marriages of Christians, and they said they're totally different than pagan marriages. And, and even those that were being fed, the Romans fed Christians to the lions. I love this story. You know, they stopped doing it in around 150 uh, A.D. They, they stopped doing it because every time they, they, they threw Christians to the lions, Christians would be singing songs, and they died better than pagans, and more people in the stands were becoming Christians and were dying in the arena. So they stopped putting up this testimony of love and courage uh, in front of the people. You know, Jesus' followers did conquer the world. They conquered uh, the Roman Empire. They, they spread. They went out and they made disciples of all nations. They spread through Western Europe. This country is a, it was founded on Christian principles. For 2,000 years, Christian missionaries have moved everywhere, changing the world. Our country was a classic example of when we followed God. We were so blessed as a nation. But the state, and this is where we come today, the state of the church, God's glorious disciples going out in 2019, Revivals are taking place. You don't hear about them here because for the most part they're not happening here. They're happening in the Middle East. They're happening in Africa. They're happening 
we're just like the first century where Christians are under persecution. They're changing the world. They're dying for their faith. They're bringing, they're converting people. Because they, remember, when you, when you see the martyrs lined up on the beach in orange outfits, they, any one of them can get up and walk away if they denied Christ, just like the original disciples, but they choose not to. They're changing the world by love today. That's the church that's taking place. By the way, in this year, 100,000 Christians will die through persecution. Many more will be tortured. Always a faithful remnant, always martyrs. But at the same time, there's always false prophets that wants to destroy the work of God. And, and this comes to the takeaway. There's false prophets that have worked their way inside of our country that, that are transforming and teaching things that are not of Christ. They're teaching a different Jesus. They say a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound doctrine. They will no longer uh, have positive, truthful teachings. We will collect for ourselves teachers that will tell us what we want to hear. Western Europe and, and England has less than 1%. No measurable Christians left in them at all. The United States today has been on a steady decline. We know this because we look at the society and we look at what's taking place. We're down less to three, well under 3% in the general population. Is this something that we should do something about? Yeah. First, if... If you're a skeptic, come to know Christ. Put your hands in His side. Follow Thomas' example. Follow His example. And, and if, there's, if you need evidence or proof, the library is full of books. I've got books. I set them aside. I read them. There's, there's, there's DVDs. There's everything. The evidence is overflowing. We're in the age of information. It's available to us. Secondly, so go find the information that's there. And next, for, for followers of Christ that are here, our job is to bring Christ to our neighbors. Many of you have invited friends and neighbors and family today. That's what we're supposed to do. So we can hear the most dangerous message, the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. We're His ambassadors. We're His representatives. But I'm going to I'm going to talk about a problem and, and invite you into something. The problem in the United States has not only been false teachers, it's been, in a, it's been Christians. The, most, the reason most people choose when they're asked on the street, what's wrong with Christianity in, in the United States today, their answer is quick and sure. Christians. They, they say we're we're hypocrites. We're, we're phonies. We don't care about other people. And, and in many ways, they've, they've got complaints, but that's not the point I want to make today. The point is, we don't have to be that way. If we want to spread God's message to ourselves, our family, and our community, be the church. Become part of what Christ is doing. And as a church, we're doing something that I believe is challenging, is can be scary. For the next I think it's like eight weeks we're doing a series about the church. And we invite, even if you're a visitor here, and this is your first time, come help us get it right. We're going to be having life groups forming up uh, where we can get together and talk about the issues that are there. We're using a book that's written by Francis Chan. His premise is that the church like this is, is over. We should be in home churches, cell churches, 
uh, where we can bring people. So as we go through it, we're going to look at that. We're going to try and establish more groups. We're going to continue to do this so I can bring my friends and you can bring yours. But we want to get it right. You know, I have to apologize for in myself historically, but for everyone. The church sometimes doesn't get it right. Help us get it right as we go forward. As, as you leave, they, they've got books. It's called Letters to the Church. Read it. It's controversial. Want to sign up for a group where we can discuss these things? If you want to be part of, of changing it, let us know. And again, one of the things that, that, that we want to do is show Christ's love to the church. You may have you heard it in the announcements. Next week is Mission Ridgecrest. We're going to go out and we're going to try and show God's love to the community. We have 30 projects. Think about that. 30 families, 30 houses we get to go to. Only because Christ sends us. We're partnering with another church to be able to go out and handle those. So please join us. And if you have projects, let us serve you. Sign up for them in the back. We, we look for more. We want to go out. We're sending another mission team to Mexico to build a house uh, for free. We'll go down on a Friday, and the house will be finished by Sunday. It is a kick and a, and a lot of I'm taking my grandson just taking him down there and again this is between us right there's only two of us here he's bringing his girlfriend that i haven't met so she's in big trouble uh it's a chance to go be christ in different environments we have multiple opportunities join us as we go forward if if you're a skeptic let us help if you're someone just starting out join a group so we can get together and grow Someone who wants to serve and change our community, be part of what we're doing. If, if you want Crossroads to be the church we want it to be, join us and help us bring that about. Would you, would you join me in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're God. That your foolish plan to change Ridgecrest, California, is to change it, not politically, but to change it spiritually as one heart at a time comes to know and experience the love of Jesus Christ and to be transformed. So, Lord, thank you that you will guide and give wisdom as we follow this process. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.